What's up, everybody? This is IBS Yeezus coming at you guys with a new project <clears throat> that we're doing here in the IBN. Uh, we are trying to do a weekly podcast that's not only filled with gambling tips and tidbits, but also insight on the sports world all around. Uh, I will be featuring as a co-host and obviously as uh, somebody that's going to be a part of this program going forward. But the man with the plan and our actual host will be none other than Keith Fleming, who is in the running for MVP this year of the group. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I, I would be uh, happy with rookie of the year. I, I, there's some there's some big uh, big time players in this group. I uh, don't know if I deserve the MVP status, but I am excited about this podcast. Uh, as I jokingly referred to it on the outline, you know, it's a podcast to be named later. So we'll we'll figure that out when we we get the details. But uh, really excited about this venture. Obviously, this time of the year, we're going to be talking a lot of football. Uh, for those that listen to our golf podcast, we're still going to talk about golf. We're going to talk a little bit about it actually tonight. And we will still be doing previews and recaps of all the big tournaments and obviously getting your uh, hot picks uh, in the golfing world. Uh, you want to go ahead and get this thing rolling, though? Start with the NFL? Yeah, let's go, ahead, let's go ahead and get it started. Let's start with the NFL. All right. So we're entering NFL Week 15. Uh, I hate to think about football season as starting to come to an end, but the playoff is really starting to take shape. Basically, the way I look at it, there's seven teams buying for six spots. And both the AFC and NFC. In the AFC, you have the Ravens at 11 and two, uh, the Pats at 10 and three, Kansas City and Buffalo at nine and four, Houston, and I can't believe the Pittsburgh Steelers at eight and five, and Tennessee as well. It's hard to say if it looks like uh, just the division winner, Tennessee, Houston is going to get in, or is it going to be Pittsburgh? Buffalo still has a pretty tough schedule left. They have a tough game this week. They still have to play New England, so they're no guarantee. The NFC is uh, even more wild in the sense that there's some really good teams. One's going to get left out. San Francisco's 11-2. and two. Green Bay, New Orleans, and Seattle are all 10-3. and three. Minnesota's nine and four, and right now the odd man out would be the Los Angeles Rams, who are eight and five, but they are starting to show signs of life. Uh, the team that went to the Super Bowl last year, but it may be too little, too late, especially with still games against Seattle and uh, the uh, San Francisco 49ers. So they, they still got a tough way to go. Uh, let's just kind of look at some of the games this week. There's not a terrific slate of games, uh, and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but I think the game of the week might actually be the Houston Texans at the Tennessee Titans. The Titans are uh, giving three points, which, I mean, I guess you're the expert that's basically saying that it's a pick em game, correct? They're giving Tennessee three points for being at home. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I like Tennessee in this game. Uh, Tennessee is actually a team – and we'll talk about this in a minute, that I could kind of see us a sleeper uh, in the AFC. I, I think that they're one of the few teams that would match up well with Baltimore uh, because of the style of football that they play. I mean, obviously, I would rather have Lamar Jackson than Brian Tannehill in a duel, but Tannehill has been very good this season. And really, if you look at it, since they benched Mariota for Tannehill, this has been one of the you know better teams in the NFL Derrick Henry is just an absolute truck. Uh, it's amazing. Every week, you know, you watch him. Like, I don't watch the games, obviously, because I don't have the NFL package, but, like, I'll, I'll watch on my phone and stuff. I, you know, the stats and stuff going, and it seems like Derrick Henry will have, you know, 10 carries for 35 yards, 12 carries for 55 yards. And the next thing you know, he has 22 carries for 150 yards and two touchdowns. And I think he just wears people down. And – I just don't know what to think of Houston. I went earlier this year to watch my Atlanta Falcons get lit up by the Houston Texans in Houston. Uh, when they're on, they're very good. We've seen that against New England and some other teams. But I, for the life of me, can't figure out what the hell happened last week. I, I thought when I first saw the score of that game, okay, they're in Denver. They had to travel west. And then I realized, no, they're at home 
and they're getting housed by a team with what their third or fourth starting quarterback of the year. I just it, it didn't make any sense to me. What do you see in this matchup? Um, I mean, from a gambling standpoint, it's really hard to uh, to rock with the Texans, and um, <clears throat> I'm not I'm I'm not gonna lie, I'm not the the uh, top of the ladder when it comes to NFL gambling. I think NFL gambling is very, very difficult, and the people who are very successful at it have literally dedicated their lives to it. It it has to be that way. I have dedicated more time to NFL gambling this year, and I am sitting at like 53% on the year right now. And, And just to give you an idea of the difference, I dedicate twice as much time to NFL as I do to college football and what am I at, like, 68% in college football? So it's, You've done, it's, very, yeah. Yeah, it's very, very difficult. Um, I am a firm believer, though, at this in this time of the season, you go with the hot hand. And the Titans are one of the hottest teams right now. And um, given that it's, it's virtually like a pick em on the spread, I'm still rocking with Tennessee. Uh, the Texans just have not looked good. Um, in a normal situation, you would probably say – this is an opportunity for the Texans to bounce back and win. They just got blown out at home. Uh, most professional teams don't get blown out consecutive weeks or consecutive nights. Um, but I'm just I'm just not feeling it right now um, with, with the line being three and with looking at the current form of the teams right now. I, I think the Texans are a little banged up. Um, they're not stopping people on, on defense. And uh, honestly, if, if uh, Watson can't get the ball – to uh, D-Hop, it's, it's like they can't do anything on offense. So being that they're a little bit one-dimensional right now, it's just not a good look for me um, going into this game. And, and I think it really is game of the week because it is going to decide that division um, and it's probably going to decide uh, an extra playoff spot as well. Like you said, Tennessee's 8-5, Texans are 8-5. I mean, we got a similar situation um, over in the NFC West when we get to, to those games later, but – uh, in a couple of weeks, the Niners are going to play the Seahawks, and, and essentially it's for the division and the number one spot, um, and or maybe the number two spot in, in the entire NFC. So <clears throat> I think the Texans and uh, Titans also have a, a pivotal game just like that. And just doing some research, something that is not good for the Houston Texas, they, Texans, they are currently 18th in the NFL against the run. They give up 110 yards roughly a game. What's scary is in the last three games they've given up 136 yards per game. That is like seventh worst in the league over that stretch. And like I said, Derrick Henry is going to get the ball a lot. He's a big, bad man, and I I can just see him rumbling for a ton of yards, and Tennessee pulls away late. I also would take Tennessee and and give the points. So let's move on to the Dallas Cowboys at home playing the Rams. You're going to have to explain this line to me. The Cowboys are giving four points. I know they're America's team, and I'm assuming that plays a role in it, but the Rams are coming off, what, two, three very impressive performances in a row. The Cowboys have looked terrible in their last couple of games. How in the world are the Cowboys a four-point favorite in this game? I mean, this is a, a textbook trap line, man. Uh, everybody's going to be on the Rams. I mean, the Rams are super hot uh, right now in comparison to what the Cowboys look like. Uh, everybody's going to be on the Rams. Rams historically are not a well-traveled team. Uh, yeah, they've had a couple good weeks, and the Cowboys, in retrospect, had a couple of bad weeks. But the Cowboys are just too talented of a team to be down for so long. And it looks like and feels like the type of game that uh, the Cowboys would win in the end. Like, I, I think Vegas does a very good job of setting up trap lines, and, and to me this seems like a, a textbook trap line. Because even when the Cowboys have been playing poorly over the last couple weeks, I don't think Jared Goff is that good. Um, Jared Goff also doesn't present the same um, challenge as uh, Trubisky does with his legs. Um, and honestly – I, I think Zeke will have a good game against the uh, Rams defense, who historically isn't that great against the run. I think it just sets up for a game 
where the Cowboys can win. Now, mind you, the Cowboys also have motivation because they were embarrassed last year by the Rams uh, in the playoffs, and I'm pretty sure that will also right. be in the back of their minds. And regardless of what people think, they still need to win. They still need to win. They still need to create uh, at least a one-game gap between them and the uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. So when they do play the Eagles, if by chance they happen to lose, I, I think they might it might be a couple of tie-breaking scenarios. But they, you just don't want to go into that game uh, without without some momentum. So I don't think they'll be looking ahead. I think this is a game where they're going to turn it around and focus. Well, again, we're, we're going to have to go with you are the person who does well at gambling. I am not. But I would definitely take the Rams and the points. You just, you know, made the point of the hotter team. I think the Rams are. They need this win more than the Cowboys. The Rams basically have to win out to have pretty much realistically any chance. If you look at Minnesota's schedule, the fact that, you you know, Seattle's got a two-game lead on them, San Francisco a three-game lead. They have to play both of those teams. And Dallas, the East is so bad that they could lose this game, which I believe would be their fourth straight loss and still control their own destiny if they can just beat Washington and beat Philadelphia in the last game of the season and win the NFC East. If I had more confidence in Jason Garrett actually feeding Zeke uh, and not just to start the game but the entire game, I would be 100% on board with you. Uh, And one thing I just wanted to clarify about the trap. Is that something, so when you say that Vegas does that, are they doing that to get suckers like me to go, oh, wait a minute, the Rams are getting four points. They're, you know, the better team right now. I got to jump on that. Is that is that why that line is that? Um, sometimes, yeah. Um, <laughs> sometimes uh, that is exactly how it sets up. I mean, Vegas, Vegas lays traps for games that are very popular. Um, to the eyes, and and I really think this is one of those games where it's just a a textbook NFL scenario where, like I said before, professional teams, especially professional teams with talent like the Cowboys have, don't typically lose back-to-back weeks like that, like back-to-back home games at that, you know? Um, So it it would just be – if, if the Cowboys lose this game, it, it is truly the end of the end of the road for them. Regardless of if they turn around and somehow beat the Eagles, they're not going to have any momentum going into the playoffs. Uh, they have to turn it around. They have to turn it around now. This is their this is their season on the line, and I think that is how they're going to approach it. And um, I really think people need to pay attention to that and pay attention to the whole. Uh, idea that they are highly motivated, regardless of what's going on currently. This team still has a bad taste in their mouth for how the Rams did them last year. Uh, all, uh, in I think it was in L.A., but they're at home in Dallas now. It was. There's the revenge factor. There's the uh, the fact that honestly, like I said before, these teams don't typically lose consecutive home games like this, and just motivation to to really show out. So. I think they match up well against the Rams in, in the rushing attack. Um, I don't think it's really a, a question as to whether or not Zeke will get fed. I think we'll see a little bit more of Pollard as well as a change of pace. But you you have your most success against this Rams defense by taking advantage of, of Donald and Clay Matthews, who's not good against the run. Donald's great against everything, but they penetrate too far yeah. uphill, and it allows for uh, backs with good vision to get to get into lanes and and get big chunk plays, uh, their linebackers are not necessarily the best at uh, defending the run as well. Uh, they're more built uh, for pass rushing and playing ahead. I think you know if Dallas had a staff and they were smart, they would play to that uh, strength, <clears throat> controlling the ball, uh, managing the clock, taking their time on drives getting a lead and playing from the front. You never want to play behind on the Rams because you play to their defensive strengths. Jalen Ramsey's a great coverage corner still. Uh, Clay Matthews is, is still getting good pressure. Uh, Aaron Donald, when he's got to pin his ears back and rush, uh, Fowler is another guy that they've got rushing as well. You don't want to put these dudes in situations where you, where they know you have to pass because then you're playing to their strengths. 
And Dak is a much better quarterback when he's able to play action pass, which they haven't done a lot of lately because they've gone away from the run in the second half. So, uh, mm-hmm. And then the third and final game let's talk about in the NFL this week is got a lot of playoff scenario. The Buffalo Bills are traveling to Pittsburgh. Uh, the Steelers are currently uh, giving two points. Uh, I, I think it needs to be said that, I have always kind of questioned how great Mike Tomlin is as a coach. I I think it's phenomenal what he's done this year. I know they haven't had the toughest schedule, but the fact that they're playing a guy that's called Duckman at quarterback, you think about they lost Le'Veon Bell, they lost Antonio Brown, they lost Ben Roethlisberger. They made a trade early in the season that many, including myself, thought was insane because they might potentially end up being, you know, in one of those picks to get one of the several good quarterbacks coming out this year when you have an aging quarterback. And they just put it all together. And uh, I like Pittsburgh always at home when they're against everybody except for New England and Baltimore, which is typically a coin toss. New England, we know they lose to constantly. Uh, but I, I really like Pittsburgh. I would, I would give the points. And – for Buffalo, looking at their schedule, I think they're going to need a win one of the two games because I'm assuming they're not going to you know, beat New England even though New England is not what they've typically been this year. But I just I see probably both of those teams in the AFC South getting to ten wins. I mean, one of them is going to get to nine on obviously Sunday, and then they both have pretty easy schedules the, the rest of the way. So this is a big game for Buffalo. Who do you got this week? Um, I just I, Buffalo's defense is pretty good, man. Uh, I don't really like their offense too much, but I I just don't believe in in Duck and and a banged up Steelers team to beat a good defense like this. Um, I know they're at home; they're gonna need Buffalo to to turn the ball over, um, which they actually have been pretty good at not turning the ball over this year. So um, they're gonna need they're gonna need help in that in that department uh, in order to actually win this game because Buffalo's defense is really good um, and they're gonna play physical ball. It's gonna be a little ugly and without Juju, without Williams and those guys, I, I really think it's just asking too much. And it says a lot about the offense. You talked about Buffalo's. Nobody likes Pittsburgh's either. The over-under is 36-and-a-half. I mean, that's one of the lower over-unders I've seen in a while in the NFL, right? That's pretty low. Yeah, no, 36 is pretty low. Um, I mean, it's not I – think, I think what they're betting on is, is that Pittsburgh's defense is solid, for sure. And Oh, yeah, and both of them are. They're they're solid. I wouldn't say they're as good as Buffalo, but they can have Buffalo-esque defensive results playing Buffalo's offense, if that makes sense, Uh, because Buffalo's offense is not that explosive consistently, uh, and and they can come up in the box and and take advantage of their athleticism. Um, I expect to see uh, a lot of Singletary, Allen um, using their legs, Gore using his legs, and I think what we're going to see is um, kind of an old-school game, you know? And then also, I haven't checked the weather. The weather could be in play as well. I know we got some snow coming in uh, earlier this week. Um, I'm not not sure what the weather is like for that weekend, but it'll definitely be cold, and uh, you should expect a a grind-out game. So 36.5 isn't really, like, anything, like, disrespectful. I think there's probably a weather element uh, factored into that as well. And what's interesting is looking back, Pittsburgh – and you talked about the turnovers. I think that will be the key to the game. Pittsburgh's defense or special team has scored a touchdown in seven out of the last eight weeks. That has so much to do with why they are eight and five, despite all the injuries. I I didn't even get to that Juju's out. Connor's been out for a while. It's really remarkable that Pittsburgh keeps on winning. So before we move on to college, just real quick, let's – at this point in the season, you know, we're getting near the end of the regular season. I just went down with some futures and wanted to see who you liked. So in the NFC, to just win the NFC, not the Super Bowl, San Francisco's at plus 175. New Orleans is plus 227. 
Seattle and Green Bay are at plus 600. The Vikings are at plus 1148, and the Rams are at plus 4,000. Who, who, what team do you like out of that group right there? Um, I mean, it's really hard to just to just jump on favorites, man. I do know what I don't like. I don't like the uh, Patriots. <laughs> I don't like the Patriots at all. Um, I I can see Baltimore, um, being an option. I mean, obviously Baltimore and San Francisco would be the most appealing appealing options. Um, so I'm sorry, those we, stats were just for the NFC. Which one of those do you like just to win oh, the NFC? And just go for to the, the NFC. Um, yes, sir. I hate to I hate to fade my own team. Like I I, I like the 49ers, but just not we're just I not healthy too. enough. Um, down like uh, down this stretch, it, it is a little concerning, and we also just lost our starting center, which plays a big part in Shanahan's um scheme. But uh, I like the Saints um, as an option. They'll they'll get at least home, they'll get home field as long as they don't play the 49ers. And um, well, actually, you know, right now if Green Bay wins out, it would be Green Bay and San Francisco. I didn't realize until I just looked it up today. Green Bay, who does not feel like a number two seed, is currently well, the I'm, two seed I'm in the NFC. I'm actually anticipating Green Bay to lose uh, either gotcha. to the Vikings towards the end or they're about to drop a game soon. They are not playing good football right now. <laughs> I mean, they're winning, but it's not good football. Uh, and, and Aaron Rodgers has also been pretty uh, – he's been trending down, put it that way. What do you think uh, is the cause there? Do you think it's age? Do you think it's the weapons, the, the new offense? What do you think? I mean, he's not having a bad year. He's not throwing picks. But it's just his completion percentage is down. He doesn't look quite as mobile. And they're just not as explosive, which is something that's unusual for an Aaron Rodgers, you know, team. Yeah, they're not explosive. Um, and Aaron, um, Aaron's having some issues, uh, I want to say, with the, with the chemistry with his receivers. Um, they, they've, it's just it's, it's kind of funky. Aaron Rodgers doesn't really play on script at all. He's used to holding the ball for a long time. He's used to almost, honestly, almost like improvising. Like they run a set play, and he pretty much waits for somebody to adjust their route and then get open. Like it's, it's, it's not backyard often football that he, a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. And he's gotten away with that for so long, but I don't think the new coach is really trying to have that style. And they and they've tried to work together. Like he he got a wrist coach, and and um, I I think they've been trying their hardest to get along, but the thing with Aaron Rodgers is is that he lacks patience. So when something new is taking effect, if it doesn't give him the desired results immediately, he kind of uh, he kind of bucks against it. And I don't know if anybody knows that or not, but he he had these he had plenty of instances uh, throughout his tenure with um, McCarthy where you almost felt like McCarthy didn't really have control. And I mean, there's there's video out there of him making adjustments uh, on on like calling audibles or or throwing fits because he doesn't like the play call that's coming in on on the helmet and things like that. He's almost like a, a little bit of a loose cannon, but he's extremely talented, and I think he gets a pass because of that. And so, um, I I think the the dysfunction that we see or the the lack of production is is just a natural resistance from him uh, for the system. And um, he, he needs to, he needs to buy in, man. He needs to buy all the way in. He needs to probably throw the ball on time <laughs> and, and uh, <laughs> believe in it because cause guys are open. There, there was a, a couple plays I watched uh, last week against the skins. I mean, the skins are not putting up much of a fight. They're not a, a, a stout defensive team, but there was times where he would throw the ball. Like it was just abnormally inaccurate of Aaron Rodgers. And it was like the type of throws that I expect from somebody that doesn't necessarily believe in what they're doing, like some some hesitation behind the throw, which made it go too low or too far to the right, too far to the left. And it's like, dude, just trust the plays, you know. And it's funny that you, you know, that somebody like me would say that about a vet like Aaron Rodgers and, and a future Hall of Famer. But we we've seen that happen plenty of times with guys when systems change, they get comfortable. I think that's a, a testament to the New England Patriots. Although they've been through different coordinators, said system has not changed much, like the concepts behind it. Now, the formations change, personnel change, but the concepts of what they're doing 
tend to stay the same. And I think that's why Tom Brady has never really had any problems like this. Uh, same with Peyton Manning. Like, he's always been given, a, like, full control of the system once he he uh, got into his prime. Like, everything's always worked around him. And I feel like right now everything's not working around Aaron Rodgers and they're trying to run the ball more and things like that. They're throwing to the tight end more, you know, and that's not Aaron Rodgers' style. So he's just got to buy into it and, and get it together quick. I believe it. I, if you ask me for the NFC, I, I'm all on your boy, San Fran. I think they are, by the eye test, the best team in the NFL. I know they're the fastest team uh, in the NFL. I think what they did the last two weeks going to Baltimore and, you know, cold conditions, nasty conditions, rain, basically playing to a draw to them, losing last second, and then go to New Orleans and beat them in a shootout in the Dome. It says all you need to know about that team right now. If they get home field advantage, I think they're going to definitely go to the Super Bowl. And the AFC real quick, and then we'll move on. You got Baltimore at minus 107, New England at plus 260, KC at plus 437. And the team that I want to highlight just because of their odds right now is Tennessee at plus 2249. Again, they're a team that with outside of Kansas City, I think they would be a pretty tough matchup for a lot of the higher seed teams in the AFC because they're also a play defense, run the football. You're going to be in cold conditions, whether it be in Baltimore, New England, or hell, even Kansas City. Uh, and I just think that with those kind of odds, if you're not going to take Baltimore, who's obviously the huge favorite, that's the team I would pick out of the AFC. What do you think? Uh, yeah, if you're looking for a true value play, I mean, Tennessee fits the bill for the type of teams uh, historically who've made these late-season runs and, and come in inspired and, and against all odds and made a, a deep playoff run. The only thing that scares me with Tennessee is, is that um, – Vrabel, I'm jacking his name up, but you're going to have to coach against Harbaugh, Belichick, like you're going to have to, and, and even Tomlin for what it's worth, like you're going to, you're going to have to earn that stuff. Um, and I don't know if he's a good enough coach for that. Um, and then I also question um, whether or not they can go on the road against one of these top teams and win uh, as well. So that would be my concern. The value, the the biggest value to me is in Kansas City right now, um, at four to at one. At plus four thirty-seven. Yeah, yep. at four to one, I think that's the the best value for the risk. Um, Baltimore clearly has to be in it. Uh, the argument uh, for Casey over Baltimore is that they beat them already this year. That was not on the road. However, also Baltimore did not run the offense the way they're running it now. They definitely threw the ball more um, and tried to go vertically more, and the Chiefs pretty much shut all that down. So the I Chiefs mean, don't you think next... the best way – I was going to say, don't you think the best way to beat Baltimore is to outscore them? Because there's been, at least from the games that I've watched the entire game, they have so many like 13, 14, you know, 12 play – touchdown drives and that's all well and good but if you don't get a couple of those early and say you settle for field goals or have to punt and you have somebody like Mahomes who could throw two bombs early that's an offense that still if they get down they're they're probably in trouble right if they get down 10 14 early that's not where you want to be with Lamar Jackson who has improved a lot as a passer but it's still not somebody you want to be you know coming out chucking it because you get down early well, here's the thing about Baltimore and, and coming back and things like that. Like, this this offense on the ground is doing something that a lot of people um, have not seen from a rushing attack offense. They get a lot of chunk plays. I mean, you, you're talking they're probably averaging almost five to six yards a carry. Like, that's pretty much what you look at on uh, most efficient uh, passing offenses. It's like they're, they're, they're basically deking and doinking you with five to six yards passes and they get yak, you know. Um, Baltimore right. is digging and donking you with the run, and and then occasionally, and it's it's pretty it's it's pretty consistent. They break a run. As I say, it's they not break just a fifteen yard yeah. run, a seventeen yard run, or something like that. And then they've got the ability to uh, and and the creativity 
to use Lamar Jackson in a way in the red zone where they have been the most efficient offense. And that is really the key to Baltimore. Is that terrifying. When they get into the red zone, they get touchdowns. They don't get field yep. goals. They get touchdowns. I think uh, that's why you're seeing them score 30-plus a game is because they're taking full advantage of the opportunities when they get into the red zone. So if you want to beat Baltimore, you have to keep them out the red zone. And then you, you have to, obviously, because they, they want to run the ball, you have to put them in downs where they need to pass. Um, now, what do you do to defend the pass? Uh, I think Kansas City figured it out. You you, you press the press the uh, the outside receivers, force Lamar Jackson to have to make tight throws, um, and then you uh, take away his outlet, which is Andrews. You bracket Andrews, which is something that you don't see a lot of tight ends get, uh, but he 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 commands that. He's the first read on a lot of plays. He's the main outlet when when the Lamar gets in trouble. So you you need to do that. And then, like I said, you just have to play them tight and uh, make him have to make throws in tight windows. And that's your best chance. That is your ultimate. That's ultimately your best chance. It needs to be said too that in the AFC. Almost all the contenders have kicking issues except for Baltimore, who have by far the best kicker in the NFL. He's been the best kicker in the NFL for a few years. And with the Pats on like their third, fourth kicker, Kansas City's kickers missed some kicks this year. Uh, you know, it, it could come down to a field goal, and obviously Baltimore is going to, you know, have the advantage in that. Let's move on to college football. I was going to talk about, you know, the Army-Navy game, uh, but no offense, we appreciate your service, but I, I don't know if I'll be <laughs> hey, watching that one. Those games uh, are good, man. They're they're fun games. They're they're competitive. There's a lot of spirit behind it. Um, it it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I I grew up um, in a triple option offense uh, in little league okay. in high school, so so I understand what I'm watching. So I love it. <laughs> Well, that's great, but as somebody who was, you know, a Georgia fan and had to watch them play Tech for 12 years with the Paul Johnson <laughs> offense, which, by the way, he had as much success as any Tech coach in the last 25, 30 years, but it just – it's hard to watch, man. It's a lot of runs. Uh, yeah. So I figured we'd talk about the playoffs instead. Uh, the, the college playoffs are set. Number one, LSU is going to be playing number four, Oklahoma. LSU – is giving 13 points. It's going to be in Atlanta, LSU, fresh off there, just ass-kicking of my Georgia Bulldogs. My man, uh, Allen, tried to tell me all week as I was confident that we were going to put up a good game, that it was going to be bad news for us. It was. Uh, and so they will be playing Oklahoma, who is uh, – I think the big story is that they're back again. They've, they've been consistently in the playoffs Jalen Hurts is I, – I don't know if he's not just the first quarterback. He may be the first player ever because he's only been doing this for like four or five years to play in the playoffs for two different teams. Uh, yeah. And Joe Burrow, you know, versus Jalen Hurts, I think this is going to obviously be a shootout. The over-under is 76. That's where the line started for that. So, obviously, Vegas is thinking it's going to be a shootout. Uh, personally, and obviously you're the expert – I like getting 13 points uh, in that kind of game only because uh, LSU's defense has been better lately, but they haven't really played a quarterback with the skill of Jalen Hurts. And when they have, like Tua, you know, Alabama obviously scored a lot of points on them. Florida scored a lot of points on them. And they don't have a great quarterback, but they at least have a mobile one. Uh, and I, I just, I mean, with 13 points, I don't think Oklahoma is going to win. I don't think they have very much chance of winning, but I could definitely see them covering, even if it's a backdoor cover where they're like down 17 and, you know, throw a touchdown with two minutes left in the, uh, fourth quarter. What do you think about this first matchup? Um, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> so I do like the 13 off of my first initial look at this. I believe in Jalen. I know Jalen doesn't quit. I know Jalen has, has led many a comeback in a big game as well. So I'm not even too, too concerned at Oklahoma getting down and, and having to come back. Uh, I think 76 is, is about right. I think LSU's um, defense, although it is it's decent, they are 
vulnerable to big play offenses. And, um, like, you know, Bama's obviously a big play offense. Gave them fits. Uh, Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley is pretty much the same. This is not Jake Fromm and, and Kirby Smart. <laughs> so yep. um, that's about right. So here's my issue with the spread, though. 13. I don't think there's any scenario that I can think of where Oklahoma is really going to stop LSU from scoring every possession. Um, and the reason for that being is Oklahoma has not been a turnover-forcing um, defense. And Jake, um, Jake, um, Joe Burrow has been great at protecting the ball and being very efficient. Uh, I see a lot of space in Oklahoma's defense. I see a lot of uh, manipulating of space in Oklahoma uh, LSU's offense. So with that being said, 13 seems about right. However, Jalen has turned the ball over enough this year to make me afraid to play the 13 because he, he might turn the ball over. And like I said, I don't see LSU not scoring. And that one or two turnovers might lead to a touchdown and make this a three-score game instead of a two-score game. So um, I'm a little worried. I want to see how that line moves if people hammer it early and then maybe be one of those things where you maybe take um, take LSU at 13. I mean, uh, take uh, – Oklahoma at 13, and then if the line goes down far enough, you double back and take LSU and then hope that the, that it lands between and you get both. Um, it right. might set up for something like that. But uh, there's no mistake about it. LSU is, is the best offense, and they have the best matchup because they're playing the weakest defense out of the remaining uh, three teams. And uh, it should be a great game. Oklahoma has put up points. Lincoln really needs a signature win, man. But I don't think he's gonna get it here. No way. They, uh, I mean, having you know, obviously being a big Georgia fan, just watched Joe Burrow and that kind of you know atmosphere scenario. This kid is unbelievable, man. I, I just there was at least four different times that he was dead to right, should have been sacked for a ten fifteen yard loss and. I haven't seen a quarterback in college in a long time that is this good at moving around in the pocket, but, man, he keeps those eyes down the field. Because, I mean, he's, he's taking those 10, 15-yard losses and turn them into 71-yard touchdowns. I mean, it, it's it's really incredible to watch him, you know, just play. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this game because I just think you're going to get to see a lot of scoring. I think that's fun. Uh, I look back to the Georgia-Oklahoma game from a few years ago where, uh, you know, I think there was like 100 points scored in that game. Uh, I don't know if they'll get to quite that much, but I'm totally with you that I don't know if I see uh, Oklahoma being able to stop LSU unless they get turnovers and they haven't done that. Before we move on to the 2-3, did they get it right with LSU number one? I think they did. What Do you think that Ohio State should have been number one? No, uh, LSU, LSU should be number one. Um, okay. Th- there's nothing – there's uh, no – to me, there's no um, – there's no argument to but, be made. I'm with you. Completely with uh, you. I just that's, that's yeah, what I want to make no sure because be I, I don't see any argument for it. So yeah. the second game is Ohio State, number two, versus number three, Clemson. I was a little interested to see this. Clemson is actually a two-point favorite. Uh, the defending champs will be playing the Buckeyes in Glendale. Uh, despite Clemson not really having a signature win this season, they just annihilated Virginia in the ACC title game. Uh, Ohio State actually had a nice comeback from a first-half deficit to beat Wisconsin by double digits. Ohio State has two of the four finalists in the uh, Heisman. And ironically, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who everybody had basically penciled in to win the Heisman this year, he is not going to be there. I am so interested to see how good Clemson is because I've been telling people all year, yes, they haven't played anybody. That's fair, and that's true. But this team has as much talent as anybody out there. They're the defending champs. They have a ton of guys on that roster that have been through this, done this before, won the title. I mean, the guys that are juniors and seniors are going to their, what, four straight semifinals, uh, Mm -hmm. third or four straight. And Trevor Lawrence has gotten a lot better as the season went on. Early in the year, there were some games I watched, and I'm going, man, this isn't even the same guy 
But as the season has moved on, he's starting to hit a lot more of those big passes that he was. His accuracy's got better down the field. Uh, but I still don't think it's enough. I think Ohio State is probably the most complete team in college football because they have a obviously unbelievable pass rush. Uh, Chase Young is one of the, the best defensive ends I've seen uh, in college in a long time. I mean, that dude is just always in the backfield, and it breaks my heart. I know all about how good Justin Fields is. I was screaming at the top of my lungs when Georgia basically allowed him to come in, did nothing for him, didn't create any kind of offense for him to even have a set of plays. They just throw him in with the same Georgia offense. I had watched the, I think it's called QB1 on Netflix. I had seen the talent this kid has, and he's already shown that in big games, he's going to make big plays. Uh, and I just, I think Ohio State's going to be too much for Clemson. Uh, what do you think? Uh disagree. Um, <laughs> I'm huge. Uh, I'm a huge fan of of Dabo and his whining self. He's turning into Nick Saban right before our eyes. Um, yes, he and, is. Uh, he I is. think. Um, I think Clemson is is hungry. I think Clemson feels disrespected. I think the more people talk about how good Ohio State is, the more Dabo is going to drum up the same like momentum that he had when they came in and they beat the brakes off of Alabama last year. I don't think they're going to beat the brakes off of Ohio State, but I think they're going to beat Ohio State. Um, I think they're going to beat Ohio State because Ohio State has uh, a glaring weakness in their secondary that Dabo and them can exploit. I think Chase Young is, is exceptional. He's he's the best uh, edge rusher I've seen in a long time, um, which I said about Nick Bosa which I said about Joey Bosa, <laughs> but they seem to be churning them out in Ohio State, and I think if there's anybody, so put it this way, if Harbaugh can scheme to keep Chase Young off his quarterback, I know Dabo can, <laughs> okay? Um, and Clemson's got a, a, an array of weapons that can really give this team a fix. I mean, Ohio State is a good team, but they're not, they're not above the rules. I'll put it this way. They, they've they've gotten caught uh, in the last couple of weeks off of turnovers, and there hasn't been teams good enough to exploit that and also continue to uh, keep keep up the good play. So if you spot Clemson two touchdowns, you're not coming you're in back. You're in trouble. If yep. you spot no, LSU two there. touchdowns, you're not coming back. And – I know it might be premature, but that is one thing that has stood out to me in the last three games or so with um, with Ohio State and that uh, Justin Fields protection of the ball. Yeah, he's got to protect the ball. He's got to. Um, and and I think, like I said, Dab, the thing about Clemson is that their players are also complemented by an equally exceptional coaching staff. And Ohio State's got a machine Day and that staff has done great, but this is their biggest challenge this year, and, and they're playing a team that's been there, done that. I mean, this is the returning defending champion, so it's not a big spotlight for them. I don't think they're going to feel so much pressure. If anything, they're going to, like I said, they're going to come in highly motivated. The pressure is on Ohio State and this this team led by by an upstart, uh, true freshman, well, not true freshman, an upstart young. Well, he's uh, purposes he is a freshman i mean he played yeah. like 12 yeah this is his first year. full season in the spotlight this is day's biggest game of his coaching career so far against his toughest opponent so far um so again there, there's more variables and questions on that side and like i said i don't think i don't think they're going to get blown out the water but i i really do think clemson's the better team i think this is a, a terrible matchup for ohio state um, it probably would have been better for them to face an LSU team that's a little bit more susceptible to to the uh, to giving up points um, and not such a disciplined team as as Clemson. And Clemson's motivated, man. I mean, they're like you can tell, like they're really motivated. And they didn't even finish the game with their starters on the field last week uh, in the conference championship. They they haven't all year. Yeah, they haven't all year. Literally, right. They're literally waiting to be challenged and have and have fabricated all this all this animosity towards these North Carolinas and Dukes because somebody put them at fifth. 
on in the, in the <laughs> committee, you know? So, I mean, think about it. They're sitting at third. Dabo's been, been literally on his save and crying about that for the last three weeks. So you know he's using that to motivate these kids. And, and like I said, I, I expect this to be the game of the year <clears throat> until Clemson plays LSU. I love it. This is why I love talking to you and this podcast. You just completely flipped me. I'm going to completely change. I'm going with you now with Clemson. That was uh, too good of a defense and argument. I, I can't argue with you there. So, real quick before we move on to the President's Cup. So, obviously, we like LSU and Clemson. If you were betting a champion, would you take LSU at plus 145 or Clemson at plus 196? I'm assuming Clemson at plus 196 because of the value and all you said, right? You're getting a little better. Yeah, I got I got a Clemson at plus 250 a while ago. Wow. Okay. So when was that? Was yeah. that before the Final Four? That was yeah. That was um, that was before the conference championships. Because I was wondering if the line moved. So the last yeah, thing we're going to talk ago. about to today is the President's Cup. For you guys that are golf heads like us, it is basically the Ryder Cup's uh, stepsister. Uh, It is a very fun event. They are coming off the Hero World Challenge in Bahamas. For y'all that watched it last week, it was interesting. It was Wednesday through Saturday, specifically for the President's Cup. Uh, It's an 18-person event where uh, it the guys get cash. It is for charity, uh, but it's not an official uh, win for anybody. Henrik Stenson ended up winning the tournament at 18 under. The guy that is on fire, John Rom, finished second at 17 under, and the host Tiger Woods finished 14 under. He was fourth out of 18 players. He looked great. Uh, it's the healthiest I've seen him, like, look swinging the golf club, and I can't tell you, like, how long because he looks like he's free. Finally, there doesn't look like there's any pain or stiffness. Uh, what was interesting was Tiger actually played the first round even. Uh, so then he was 14 under the last three rounds. If he could have had a little better first round, he might have had something to do with the end of that tournament. Uh, Ten of the 12 players for the United States were actually at Tiger's event. For y'all that don't know, Tiger is not only playing in the President's Cup, he is also the captain. And they took the, I think it was a 23-hour flight from the Bahamas to Australia. I would imagine that was pretty fun. Tiger said that he basically locked them in the plane and, you know, I guess prepared them for this week. And the there was a little bit of drama, too, I want to get on before we get moving, where Patrick Reed, who is notorious for kind of, I don't even know if you want to call him a bad boy, just kind of being a prick. Uh, He was in the bunker. They changed the rule just this year where now you can actually ground your club in the trap. That is legal. That means you can actually stick the wedge on the ground in the bunker. That used to not be the case in a hazard. But what he did was both times he kind of grounded his club, he sort of scooped back sand. And his lie was initially – slightly plugged, meaning the sand was above the golf ball behind it, and by the times he had done it twice, it was basically a flat lie. He claimed that he did not know. I'm going to tell you as a golfer, that is 100% bullshit. He knew without a shadow of a doubt that he did it. He would have known just by looking at the golf ball because the sand behind the ball would have gone down. He was addressed a two-stroke penalty after his third round, he was actually in the lead before that happened. It dropped him down to third. He didn't play great on Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you saw this today, Alan, but Justin Thomas uh, actually had some fun. Uh, basically grounding his club with Patrick Reed in a uh, practice round and literally just kind of shoved the sand back and asked Patrick if that was a penalty. Uh, and it's on social media, so I don't know how Patrick Reed's going to take that. Uh, I'm assuming it's a good, you know, just joking thing. But uh, the U.S. has killed in the President's Cups. It is the exact opposite of the Ryder Cup. The United States dominates. The United States makes putts. The United States gets up early. It's all the things the Europeans have done to us. Uh, just to let you know, the United States is a minus 400 uh, if you're starting, uh, just picking the U.S. outright, the international is plus 250. Some of the interesting prop bets, you have the international team 
If you get three and a half points, I haven't seen this. I hope maybe we'll get some points for the U.S. next year in the Ryder Cup. But you can get the international team with plus three and a half or minus 125. I actually like the other side of that. Uh, and then the player to earn the most points. Uh, you know, there's five, the, the most matches they can play is five. Obviously, you want to take a player that's going to play in as many as possible. Uh, I really like Justin Thomas at plus 800. The rumor is he's going to be paired with Tiger Woods. Uh, if he does that, say, for two or three matches, those are two of the like best form players uh, in the event playing together. You would think that would be wins. Justin's a young guy. I assume he's going to play all five matches. That's somebody like, is there any Americans you really like uh, for that uh, prop? No, I definitely like Justin Thomas, man. I mean, he's he's in the best form right now um, of all the American players in my mind outside of Tiger Woods. Uh, he's he's loose and comfortable. He's not going to be intimidated playing with Tiger. Like, you know, they get along real well. Um, I think that'll help him out. And um, I, I think at 8-1, to one, that's, that's – I'm <laughs> I'm about to call that uh, one of my players. Like that. I wasn't going to really do any Ryder Cup betting, but at 8-1, to one, that, that's awesome odds. Pretty good um, I did see, so I did see what you were talking about with uh, Justin Thomas making fun of Patrick Reed and, and a lot of people reading into it. I don't know much about uh, golf emotions per se. I mean, I don't take them as serious. I mean, I'm also 6'3", 320, so I'm not really intimidated <laughs> by most golfers. But um, I think he was just making fun of it uh, more so to just get it out the way. People have been calling uh, Patrick Reed the excavator. Uh, which I think is hilarious, but uh, I don't play golf, and even I know that you would know when you were doing something you would like know. that. Like, Come I, on, I watched, man! Like, I watched enough golf to see these dudes take practice swings and take practice swings, practice swings in in um in the sand, and I've never seen anybody do that. And then the fact that I, I look at it like uh like baseball a little, like you, I play a lot of baseball, I swung my bat over a million times. There is nothing that could, like, like there's no way I could swing that bat and not know something was off if, if, like, it was chipped or something like that. It feels different. There's no way you swing a club as many times as these guys and you actually fling sand on your backswing and you don't He did it that. twice. Like, That's what's yeah. crazy is he did it yeah. twice. Like it's, uh, it's, it's and just, just so a little, a little backstory on you were asking about the potential drama the only reason I'm worried about it is Patrick Reed last year in the Ryder Cup was really upset because they ended up splitting up him and Jordan Spieth, who they're not mm-hmm. good friends, but they've had a very good success uh, at Ryder Cups, which not very many Americans can say that, and they've been very mm-hmm. successful as a team. Well, the reason why was to put Jordan Spieth with Justin Thomas. They are best friends. They grew up playing together. Now, in the defense, of the captain, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas were the best American team by far. I think they went 2-0-1. Uh, Patrick Reed was paired with Tiger. They didn't do well. They went 0-2. Uh, and that's the only reason it concerns me is I'm not sure if that's not already kind of an icy relationship. But the one thing that we have going for us as the Americans is I can only imagine how that team feels playing not only for Tiger Woods, but with Tiger Woods, with him as his captain, and I just think now if this was a Ryder Cup, I would be worried it would go the other way because it would be so much pressure on them. But I think that they know they're going to win anyway, and they're going to try to just go out there and absolutely ball out. Uh, one other, uh, like some other odds I just saw that are interesting. We were just talking about Patrick Reed. He's plus 900 to win the most points. He's more than likely going to play five matches. I don't – it sounds like if Justin Thomas is going to play with Tiger, that means that I don't know who they're going to put Patrick Reed with, but he's the kind of player that he can play with anybody. He's great in match play because he's a really good putter. Uh, he, he's amazing around the greens. Pars are huge when you have one guy that's going to make pars. Webb Simpson is plus 1,800. Webb has a great record in match play. He is uh, one of the guys that did really well at the President's Cup. It was kind of disappointing he didn't play – I mean, excuse me, at the Ryder Cup last year. He went 2-1 and one and only played three matches, uh, and he really 
could have won all three of his points. And then on the international side, you have Louis Ustazen at plus 600. I don't really love that, but that would probably be the person I would bet for the most points on the international side. Hideki is obviously the big favorite, but it's always interesting in these things, Tiger being the person he is, he might say, well, I'm going to put, you know, me and Thomas every match up against Hideki if he has the ability to, and obviously that's going to make it difficult for, you know, Hideki to get a lot of points, but somebody's got to win it. So if there's, you know, a person on the international side, I would probably go with Ustin Hazen just because he's a really good match play uh, player. Is there uh, anybody on the international side you want to highlight or any other prop bets for the President's Cup? Man, I really want, I really wanted to be uh, Neiman, but his putter is just not consistent enough right now. Um, That's so big in the Ryder or in these kind yeah, of events. Yeah, and and I mean, you could maybe make a case for him, but Louis seems to have the best history. And and I think that's the safest play, um, all things considered. Now, I know there's a lot of pressure riding on Hideki to kind of carry the international team um, if you think he's up for it, because he has been in good form. So if you think he's, oh, he's up for it, um, yeah, that's that's a play. Uh, you're actually getting pretty good value with him as the top Asian as well at plus 140. Um, so Wow, you know, really? Yeah, there's only two yeah. other, right? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> I mean, there's only two other I would consider having a chance. And that's on and in. No, I'm talking about because there's only 12 guys. I think there's only two other uh, Asians on the team. No, so they're, they're, the counting, they're counting uh, Matsuyama, M, on Lee, and uh, C.T. Pan as uh, Oh, they, oh that's Asian. right. They had two back out. I forgot that they yeah. added Pan yeah. uh, at the last minute. Uh, what's your prediction for the uh, match? You think U.S. routes, it's close? <sighs> Honestly, man, the – there's a lot of rust on that U.S. side, man. Um, I mean, DJ's not, you know, in his top form. Uh, Ricky Fowler's not in his top form. And, um, I mean, Bryson DeChambeau just put on 100 pounds of muscle. We don't even know what he's going to look like. God, does uh, he not look huge? <laughs> Holy cow. No, I didn't even – actually, didn't, I didn't look. I just read that he was on a six-week uh, muscle gaining program. Yeah, I bet. So, um I mean, if I mean, he's a big boy younger, anyway. Yeah, if you're younger, and, and I mean, if I dedicated six weeks uh, and I was a professional athlete, I probably would look pretty good too. Um, but um, <laughs> I, I think U.S. wins. I don't know about a route. I, I want to say they should. And like I said, I look at the names, and the names on the U.S. side tells me this should oh, be Oh, it's easy, a huge but, mismatch. Yeah. Uh, if you go by world yeah, rankings I mean, and stuff. You could argue that our worst player is like Tony Finau. And that's pretty good. <laughs> exactly. He's the, he's the no, top they, 20 they, player. They have, I think, two players on their entire team that are ranked higher than our lowest ranked player. And, I mean, that's kind of mm-hmm. all you need to know. I will say, though, for just deja vu, you know, I, I don't know what you call it, destiny. It, it's famously the international has only won two of these events. And, and the history, they've been doing it now for almost, I think this is like the 15th or 16th. They've tied one. The only one they won outright was in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, I believe it was in either 99 or 2001. So going back to that site, who knows? I thought one of the more interesting things to come out was that, you know, a lot of the international players were saying that they hope the uh, local fans don't cheer Tiger because, you know, he's the, the bad guy this week. And it's like, mm-hmm. guys, they're going to cheer Tiger. They haven't seen him in 10 years. He's basically the greatest golfer that's ever lived. And, I mean, that's it's it's just the way it is. Like, he's not going to get cheered in a Ryder Cup overseas, but I can guarantee you he's going to get plenty of cheers in Australia, a place he's had a lot of success, too. And yeah, I, just man. so you know, it's going to be a prime time too, buddy, which is is great. It's my favorite part of any golf is when it is either out on the West Coast for majors or overseas where I'm pretty sure it's going to start every day at uh, like around like 5, 6 p.m. and basically go through the night. It's It's going to be wonderful. I'm very excited about having golf basically Thursday through Sunday uh, in the evening. And it's just going to roll right into NFL Sunday. Yeah, uh, I, I like it. I, um, 
I always enjoy watching golf on Sundays. I know a lot of people like golf. I got friends that make fun of me, but then they also sit here and watch <laughs> it with me. So. <laughs> yeah, but your your picks have been amazing this year. So if they were listening to you, they should have made a lot of money this year and therefore love golf. You know, it's like the, mm-hmm. the bell fairy. Uh, yeah. Is there any other games or things you want to talk about? Uh, college basketball, um, I think the Dick Vitale – is it not Dick Vitale. Um, there's a tournament this weekend that people are playing in. Is it the DV tournament? I can't remember. Anyway, um, there's a tournament going on. Uh, we just saw Louisville go down there, ranked number one. Uh, Texas Tech beat them. Um, Baylor is giving Butler the work right now. Uh, there's a couple other ranked teams playing. Um, Maryland just dropped the game to Penn State. So uh, the top teams are playing uh, some pretty tough games right now. And I, and I like what I see in college basketball this year. I think it's really competitive, really wide open, and uh, some really good guard play. So if you're not into the NBA swing just yet, I would recommend doing it. What's, what's, uh, give me a few teams you like with a chance to win it all this year. Um, my long shot was uh, Memphis uh, before Wiseman got in trouble. But yeah, I, I mean, kind of killed I'm, that. I'm still committed. He'll be fresh. Um, I like Louisville. I don't think they're going to sneak up on anybody right now. I really like Michigan uh, on the low That's as a, well. Um, I, I think Michigan is going to be a team that, that um, based off how they started the season, I think they're only going to get better. And I'm not even too concerned if they drop a few games here and there. Just looking at the cohesiveness of the team and, and then the way they're built, they've got a, a stretch five basically. they got a big that can shoot the, the long ball and also has pretty good feet. Um, so he doesn't get in a lot of foul trouble as well. So I kind of like them a lot too. Um, out of the ACC, I don't think it's the ACC's year to be really dominant this year, but, you know, we, we can be surprised. Uh, if UNC stays healthy, they've got uh, a lot of young talent on that squad. Um, obviously, Cole Anthony is one of them, and I, and I think they'll always be in the talks. I think this is one of the weaker Duke teams that we've seen. Um, Gonzaga looks really good. Yeah, I was say, Gonzaga looks really good. Um, and and be on the lookout for the Huskies. Um, not not to win it, but just to play upset or uh, really get some good value on them throughout the year. They're a really good team out there in Washington, and they they're very long, uh, which reminds me of uh, like Baylor and some of these other teams, like uh, even UCF last year. Yeah, Oregon as well. Um, if you like last year's team for sure, like they were a long. Team. And what I mean by that is, it's like, even though Pritchard's like 6'4", his arm length makes him like 6'8", you know? So he, he and that is a to guard bitch. The, to, yeah, to guard the <laughs> perimeter. college so basketball, that's, man, that's such a big deal. Like, when yeah, you have length like that on defense. That's ultimately what, what uh, makes a lot of these teams good on defense is that they have a lot of length. And uh, I'm very big on looking at that. Uh, when I'm I'm looking at teams that I want to back, uh, whether or not they're a good defensive team and stuff like that. Um, my favorite team to watch so far, uh, it's a mix of Iowa um, and uh, San Diego State and obviously, like I said, Memphis. I like watching Ole Miss just because they don't give up. They play hard. Uh, Maryland is another team that just hustles hard. Um, even though they lost today, they still hustle hard. Penn State, I like watching them. And then Ohio State. Ohio State's got a squad, man. They got a squad. What do you think about Kentucky? I saw them the other night. You know, they lost that first game, and it was like, you know, that that happens with them. They have so many freshmen. And this was the second time I've seen them. They look pretty good. Um, I mean, Kentucky's a well-coached team. They play solid ball. Um, I don't – like, they – like grading them against the other Kentucky teams that I've seen, they don't stand out to me. And it's the same with Duke this year. Like, I, like compared to last year's team or even recent teams of the past, you know, they don't really compare. Like recent teams of the past for this Kentucky team, they don't really compare. Uh, but but they're a very solid team. They got they got uh, go to talent, and and they, out of all the elite programs, they're probably one of the most underrated defensive teams, especially by their commitment to the defensive side of the ball. 
Um, and I and I think that plays in their favor. I'm not reading too much in the Evansville uh, loss. I mean, that stuff happens every year. Northern right. Iowa beat uh, UNC one year, and I think Duke got beat by what Stephen Austin this year. Like these random losses. Early in a the sixteen team beat a one just two years ago in the tournament. Yeah, and and like, that, that actually that's a big deal. You know that to me that's a huge right. deal. But like these regular season like November losses, I'm not reading too much into that. Well, man, I have really enjoyed this, and we're gonna try to do one of these every Tuesday night. We'll come up with a name, but uh, it's gonna be sort of like this, where we're gonna break down uh, basically maybe some sports stories. We're going to go over the games, and we will transition, obviously, into a lot of football the first couple episodes to basketball. Uh, Golf will be ramping up kind of when basketball season ends. Uh, I'll have to get back watching baseball if we're going to do baseball, (laughs) and then football will be uh, right around the corner. But uh, I always enjoy talking to you about this stuff. I mean, it was just like I said, I was all gung-ho about Ohio State, listened to you talk for five minutes, and you convinced me. It made all the sense in the world, and uh, definitely going to change my pick there. But uh, we will talk soon, man, and I will see you uh, next Tuesday on the podcast. All right, man. Take care. All right, bro. Bye.